0: Welcome to The Mighty Dragon. I caught up with a writer friend of mine and passed Mighty Dragon interviewee Philip E. Hardy. It's a great time to catch up with Philip. He's just adapted Hemingway's Sun Also Rises into a screenplay. We talk about this and his upcoming movie, Purgatory Station, starring Bob Gunton as Horatio Grimes. While I had Philip, I grilled him on the best practices for screenwriters and the question we all want to know, how to get your script read as an unrep writer. Hey. Hello, Philip. How are you today?
1: I'm doing very well, actually.
0: Great. It's an early start for you in Houston, in Houston I should say. You're not Houston, are you?
1: You're I'm, Texas. Uh, I'm in Austin. Maybe uh, Austin, the downtown area is about 35 miles from here. Um, right. I'm in a what they call a bedroom community. Right.
0: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, I've got a few questions for you, seeing you've been very busy on uh, Facebook with all of your updates, which are very exciting. First of all being, you've recently adapted Sun Also Rises into a screenplay. Is this the first adaptation you've done?
1: No, I, I've adapted several, actually, uh, novels. I Actually, I did um, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah. And, I've also done several of H.P. Uh, Lovecraft stories. I, I did three from the public domain works of H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, and I what I did with that is I created an anthology screenplay, sort of like in the vein of uh, Creepshow or uh, uh, Tales from the Crypt, only with Lovecraft's work. And uh, Dracula was actually, my timing was a little bad, I started that project before I knew about the BBC Dracula that came out yeah. about years ago, which I thought was terrible, by the way. I was looking for uh, to create a, a, a much more literary adaptation of, of the novel. I really, the way I pitched it and envisioned it, and still do if somebody's interested, is a 10 episode rendering of Dracula. I mean, go through the whole novel essentially, I mean, with very little. Uh, Left out. It's a chapter by chapter uh, adaptation. So each episode would really take, for example, the first, the pilot's really, I think, the first three chapters of the novel. So that was another adaptation and pretty faithful rendering the way I wrote it. Of course, I I always put my twist on it in terms of dialogue. Um, The opening scene was a scene that I created uh, that was not in the novel. But other than that, it was essentially it follows Jonathan Harker arriving at uh, at uh, Castle Dracula and you know going through the whole thing. All they're all politeness for several weeks, and he's handling them with business. And then it's really that's a slow burn if you really look at that yeah. section of the novel of uh, Dracula re- revealing layers of his of his uh, meaty onion, and uh, and then Harker realizing he's a prisoner and how how he's okay. gonna try to escape. Castle Dracula. So, I also this summer I did some work for a producer in uh, in he was in Thailand now he's in Vietnam he's actually a British expat named Robin Dudfield and he um, I adapted two Stephen Leather novels and and just for a point of reference for your audience Stephen Leather is uh, the author of a book called The Chinaman which was made into a film called The Foreigner with Jackie Chan and Pierce Yeah. Osmond love a, that yeah it's a blockbuster movie it was 170
0: yeah
1: and what my logic in taking those projects on was they were good IPs um Tunnel Rats was a good one for me uh unfortunately uh though we initially he kind of agreed with me we didn't really wind up seeing eye to eye on uh Private Dancer which was the second one and the story really I hate to I'm not this is not to belittle uh Stephen Leather in any way. The story just didn't really resonate with me. Yeah, you know, nice. It's kind of about uh, a go-go dancer, uh, you know, in her affairs in uh, in Thailand. And, yeah, it's just, I don't, you know, I don't get it. I don't get stories like that most of the time. I don't think they really work, cinematically yeah. speaking. So that's fine. So Tunnel Rats turned out really good, and that one's actually been uh, doing rather well on the festival circuit and contest circuit. And, um uh, I did have some interest on that one Uh, so I don't know what's happening we'll see what happens and that brings me to The Sun Also Rises
0: yeah
1: about um, started about two months ago I decided I wanted to do another intellectual property that was public domain and I was looking Um, at a lot of of different authors Um, you know I, I tend to gravitate towards American writers obviously like Fitzgerald and uh, um, anyway, and I looked at *The Beautiful and the Damned*. I, I actually started reading a chapter by chapter summary of that, and it didn't. Uh, I, I looked at the story, and it it has a very uh, um, dismal sort of. I don't know, for lack of a better word, it just seemed like it would be a really monotonous, tedious um, work to try to bring to the to a, to a scripted medium. So it didn't work for me. And then I thought about I checked to see if Sun Also Rises was a public domain and it just entered the public domain last year. And that's a story that I've been familiar with since I was in high school. I'm very fond of it. It resonates with me. Um, So I I decided to do do an adaptation of that.
0: How long does it take for something to enter the public domain then?
1: It's my understanding is it's typically. Seventy. It's like I think it was seventy five years, right? Of, you know, they, they, they the author can copyright it, then he can have copyrighted again. And um, but if you look at the Sun Also Rises, I think was written in, um, I think it was written in nineteen. It's supposed to take place in twenty two, so it's got to be in that time period. So we're looking; it's a hundred year old novel now. So huh. that was the time, and that's probably why it was essentially a hundred years old with it when it entered, entered into the public domain. So what i wanted to do with that is really create a more adult i don't know what lack again for lack of a better uh description a more modern version even though it takes place in 1922 the the versions that came out in 1957 with Tyrone power they still had that whole Hayes code thing happening and you couldn't do uh you couldn't be frank you couldn't talk about homosexuality you couldn't talk about you know you didn't really want to say prostitute out loud you could, uh, you know, it, it. although they did a fairly good job with uh, a depiction of the the novel, it's really kind of hamstrung, if you if you know what I mean, in yeah. terms of content. And then the guys that were in the parts were all way too old. To be, you know, Tyrone Powers, 44 years old. You know, he's supposed to be 10 years younger. Plus all those actors, <laughs> as good as they were, Errol Flynn, they were all beat to hell by the time they did that movie. Because those guys, you want to talk about guys that were lost generation, those guys were, you know pounding in the alcohol and all the other stuff that they did, right. <laughs> so uh, you know again, that one didn't work, and then they did a a, a mini series like in nineteen early eighties, so it's been about forty years, and my reflection of that was not very good either um, so we're looking at a forty year you know we're looking at basically two generations of time, and I thought, wow, this is a perfect time to grab a hold of this i p and try to get it out as quickly as possible and uh you know i i really just hit it very hard in terms of uh what did i wanted what what did i want to use from the novel and you know i i now for something that's a famous novel like that i have a process that simplifies you know doing the adaptation
0: right interesting and what are the challenges when you're doing an adaptation
1: any novel it's what's going to work on the screen versus the, the pages of a novel where you have the benefit of you know, rambling narratives. I mean, if you look at uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. Case in point, Academy Award winner, made 1963. Screenplay written by Horton Foote, adapted from the novel by Harper Lee. I mean, she goes into this whole long narrative in the front of the novel. Uh, you know, she, it's like the first chapter or whatever. And the book doesn't even, I mean, the movie doesn't even remotely re- resemble that. You know, those are the type of things you have to get rid of uh, for The Sun Also Rises, uh, Ernest Hemingway spends two chapters talking about one of the main characters, Robert Cohen, and I just think you know, it was completely non-value added to a screenplay. So really how I handled that was you know, I I had this envision Jake Barnes is sitting in, in a, you know, out in a Paris cafe, and he's he starts doing a first-person narration as he's paying the bill. He's walking down the street. He's looking at fedora hats while he's talking. He's talking about Robert Cohen. And I deliver the first uh, the, the first two chapters in one short scene. I give you the information uh, <laughs> yeah. that Robert Cohen's kind of a difficult personality, that he's having romance troubles, and that he was the Princeton boxing champion. So these are the things that he wants Jake to go to South America with him. So delivering all that in a couple scenes as opposed to a couple chapters and then going through the novel and saying, well, do I really need to show Jake Barnes and Bill Gordon on a fishing trip? Is that something that's going to be really that exciting for the viewer? And that's like three chapters of the novel. You know, there are two, three uh-huh. chapters where he's in, uh, I think it's called Burgas, Spain, and they're doing their fishing ship. So my goal was really depicting the cafe society of Paris, you know, sort of the endless party atmosphere. And then from there, they go to uh, Pamplona, they're, they're doing the bullfight fiesta, and that and that's a big party. So it, it's lends itself to the whole lost generation, dissolute lifestyle of the hedonist, uh, you know, lost generation people. You know, Brett, Brett Ashley, who's the centerpiece, because there's, there's basically, if you look at the novel, there's really five guys that are kind of vying for attention in that novel, if you include the count. Uh, who i didn't really he has a very small part in the novel so but really there's there's you know that's it's beyond a love triangle it's a love quartet it's a love quintet actually so that that's the, the centerpiece of it it's all the tensions around that it's the, the fact that brett ashley herself can't sustain a uh what do you call it a committed um long-term relationship you know she's yeah love with being in love or infatuated so so yeah that that's the key in the equation is focus in laser focus on what's going to make the best material and so after i decided what chapters i wanted to get rid of then i went through and really just started kind of spewing i started actually spewing uh material from the book on the, on the final draft so i'm looking at what do i want to do yeah i definitely want to do this i definitely want to do this and I knew that I was going to wind up having too many pages at the end of the, at the end of the line. I was hoping that it wasn't going to be uh, anything significant, but when I was done with the first draft, I had 150 pages. So, you know, I mean, if I was Tarantino, I go, yeah, I could I could go do that, <laughs> a two and a half hour movie, and they were all really good scenes. I mean, it was all well yeah. like, as far as I'm concerned. They turned out really good, but in my world, which is you know, nobody wants to see anything beyond the magic 120 pages. Um, I, I trim 30 pages. It's exactly, it's just over, uh, it's one, it's about a half of uh, the 120. So it's just 120 and to me, but it's all material. The thing flows really nicely and it's all material that is really essential to me and what the story I wanted to convey. So once once I trimmed uh, that that excess bad, and that's what I call non value added. Is it really essential to your screenplay? And not, and non value added is really a manufacturing term that I picked up in my other careers working in you know building airplanes and things. And and it it came from Ford Motor Motor Company that any activity that didn't produce revenue for the company was non value added. So right. it's, it's the same thing. The pages. By your real estate. So if you're not producing revenue for your real estate, you know, you're not getting a return on your investment. It's not value added. And this is an issue that a lot of screenplay uh, screenwriters have in writing screenplays. So got rid of that material and uh, I augmented a lot of the dialogue with what I wanted to infuse into the characters. You know, in my opinion, my protagonist, Jake Barnes, is a much ballsier version than the one that's in the novel. He's got yeah. a lot more edge. He's more. He's less of an observer because uh, Jake's the narrator of that. You know, again, uh, Hemingway approaches that from the first-person narrative, which I also do. Jake does a first-person narrative in my screenplay, but he's also more of a. You know, particularly with Brett Ashley, he's he's the one who really calls her out on her bullshit. You know, the, of what she does, and she allows him to do that because she she loves she loves Jake, and you know Jake has been rendered impotent because he had an injury during the war and that's really the only thing that keeps brett from you know being with him on any permanent basis is you know he can't he can't sexually uh um be what she wants him to be so again but but on a personal level and on a connection level they connect all the way through that story that's a common thread and that's been accentuated a lot for me so That's really my interpretation of how how it went and how I approached it. So we'll all see how that shakes out.
0: I was going to ask you about how much license you have to change the narrative in adaptations, but I'm going to tweak that a bit because do you write for yourself or also with the fans in mind who love that book and story?
1: Okay. There's no one-size-fits-all for me. Look, with the Stephen Leather novels, for Tunnel Rats, I think I wrote an ass-kicking screenplay on that. Yeah. So I was gonna give you a percentage basis. Uh, and I'm just gonna leave it at that one. And and that that screenplay is getting a very good reception. I just got another thing from uh, Page Turner. That was a final. I'm waiting to hear back if it was one of the final 15, but it was a finalist. Script blues, a Story Pros, a lot of good contests. But I would say, percentage wise, I used about 35 to 40% of the story. I mean, I, I the core elements are there. But, I mean, I, cha- I I created new characters, so I took a lot of license with that because, to me, it's a screenplay, and, I, again, I just – the procedural plot line of Tunnel Rats wasn't working for me. I wanted to make it a, more of an action story. I think, I, I think I've been successful in that. I have no regrets about it. Would Steven Leather like it? I don't know, and quite honestly, with all due respect to the guy. I, I spoke with him via Facebook when I first started the process – but with all due respect, I really don't care. You know, my yeah. attitude is that wasn't my goal. I I wanted to write an entertaining screenplay. So as far as the fans, I failed with *Pub Private Dancer*, obviously. And and I again, I don't care. I I the guy literally, you know, he really wanted me to badly write it because he liked my tunnel rats, the producer. So I, I did what I thought I wanted to do with that story. I think for me, I think it worked beautifully. But I'm not objective. You know, I'm looking yeah. at it from my writing perspective. Well, I am to some degree, but the, uh, again, hey, you're not going to hit every time. Now, going to the famous authors like Hemingway and Stoker and Harper Lee or whoever you're talking about, or Lovecraft, again, I do take a lot of artistic license. I, when I submitted the uh, H.P. Lovecraft one to the Thirteen Horror Festival, the guy who runs that is a British guy. And he told me, man, what, what you did with that was fantastic. He said, not only did you, you retain the essence of love, Lovecraftian storytelling, but you, you abused a lot of humor that wasn't there, you know? So, right. you know, I like humor in my material tense. So in stories like the, you know, Diary of Randolph Carter or whatever, there's a lot of humor in that, in that, in that storyline, or even in Reanimator, there's, there's some very dry humor in, in my uh, interpretation of that. So do I try to maintain the essence of the, what I'm doing? Of course with Sun Also Rises, I think fans of that book are going to like it. I mean, I use a lot of Hemingway's dialogue. The scenes are really there. Again, do I, there's some, there's things I supersize in my story. Again, I'm a, this is a modern audience I'm looking at. In the book, there's a scene, one of the climactic scenes of the book is where Robert Cohen, the character, who's the Princeton boxer. He's obsessed with the Lady Brett. He, he comes in and he has a fight with Jake Barnes and another character who's a Brett, Brett's fiance named Mike Campbell, who's a Englishman or a Scotsman. So I, I sort of supersized that fight scene. You know, it's much more of a fight than a, than a route like it is in the novel. Cause I thought it gave it a lot more bite. I wanted Jake Barnes to be able to, you know, get in some blows against this guy. Cause there was some, there's some tension between those two guys and yeah. Jake says a lot of mean things to him, you know, it, that, that, uh, uh, prior to that fight scene breaking out so again i wanted to really ramp up the tension of of that scene and uh but it, but anything it's like dealing with for example a big element of the sun also rises the bullfighting and we all know that bullfighting these days is like oh my god you know yeah it's savage it's horrible blah blah, blah. Yeah. but i don't look at it through the prism of the woke culture of 2023 yeah you know i'm sorry i you know because hemingway didn't view it that way Hemingway thought it was magnificent you know it's man against beast blah 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 and I'm not making a commentary on whether I think uh bullfighting is a savage type thing I you know i given the opportunity would I go to a bullfight yeah probably I I might go to it just to you know experience the whole thing but is it something that I that I go want to glorify no you know I mean I'm not an animal killing type personality but conversely I'm I'm a storyteller. I'm an observer, and I'm not here to give you my Philip Hardy commentary, right? Whether or not I think bullfighting's a a nasty bit of business, I will give you Philip Hardy's personality in terms of the characters, and you know, I'm an old guy. You know, I have a lot of experience. There's a lot of Philip Hardy and Jake Barnes, or any character I created, even Brett Ashley. I mean, I write human characters, whether male or female, whether transgender or whatever. I don't worry about what what their what their identity is what their pronouns are what their badge is, I worry that they're a human being, and what are the human characteristics of any personality given any whatever they you know their identity is or what you know so yeah i I mean that's why I think I'm so successful creating female characters you know if i and i mean certainly there's people that would disagree, but you know again i I try to create the most uh human believable characters i don't sit there and worry about all this oh god how can i do this i'm a 60 some odd year old male how can i sit there and write about a 25 year old female musician believe me i knew a lot of them i dated a lot of them so you know um i i, I do it very easily again because yeah. i come at it from they're human beings first what are their desires their wants and all that other good stuff in there so you know that's sort of how i approach it and as far as Artistic latitude. I, I don't really worry about it that much. So, I mean, who? What's anybody going to do to me? Is Graham Stoker going to rise up from the grave or his family? Gonna- <laughs> no, no, it's that's what it's public domain. So, again, do I hope that people, particularly with "Sun Also Rises," I really hope that the audience likes that that my take on that.
0: Yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to see um just generally um over the next few years how movies respond to this woke world that we're in now. Right. Um, it'll be very interesting. I just hope that it doesn't impact it too much. You have a movie coming out, Purgatory Station. Can you tell me more about this?
1: Yes, Purgatory Station is a uh what you call a long story that began and that that I will try to make brief as possible i think i wrote it in 2015 oh. um, and it was you know i was having uh, some interaction with some really really low budget producers at the time and we were looking for a single location type story so it didn't it didn't work out with those people it's it became another script in the repertoire and i'm the kind of writer that uh, I don't flog material. You, I'm sure you know plenty of writers that they're pushing the same couple of scripts for five years. And I write sometimes on some good years. I've written six screenplays. I've right. already written two screenplays this year, and I move on very quickly because I get bored fast. It's, sort of, I'm, you know, it's that old songwriter thing. I get bored singing the same songs when I was a musician. So, uh, Purgatory Station was like, okay, it's there. If somebody wants a Low budget, you know, limited location horror thriller. I can pitch it, and I did pitch it over the years. I got some people that wanted to read it. I had people read it, and you know, it seemed like a no-brainer to me. I thought, wow, this this is perfect. So last year I sent it, you know, another one of those things, sent through InkTip, and I sent it to a guy named Angus Benfield, and Angus is a a, I'm sorry, an Australian actor who lives in Hollywood, and he he makes a lot of movies. He's probably made four or five pictures this year and he does TV. He's done like criminal minds. He was also in the inventing Anna, uh Netflix series. He was in that oh. and he's a producer and he's got his own company called bridge and acorn. He's got distribution channels and he's right now uh, pushing his latest film, which is called yellow bird, which was another novel adaptation. So He read, he really liked Purgatory Station. He made it very quickly. Um, We scored some very good actors. Um, I got a reference of Bob Gunton uh, from Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Uh, He plays the uh, uh, antagonist. Um, Sean, I think O'Brien's another guy who's, he was in Olympus Has Fallen and uh, some other big action movies. And then Angus, of course, is the lead. So got some, you know, not like, super A-listers, but some really solid actors. that. I've yeah. Met. You know, and Bob's a, a, to me, is one of the great character actors of our time. Um, you know, the, his body works incredible. So I'm very anxious to see how that all turns out. And I didn't agree with everything that happened in terms of the director's uh, envisioning of the film, but we'll see how okay. it turns out. And they're very excited about it, the people involved in the movie, because the first thing out of his mouth was he was talking... You know, I was saying I wrote this as a franchise. Yeah, he's already talking about sequels, so we'll see how it shakes out. You know, it's a movie; it's got a good cast. It looks like it was very nicely shot and got some good actors. So uh, it's it's actually being edited this month, and as soon as I have a trailer, I'm going to obviously pop that up. Yeah. Um,
0: oh, I can't wait to see it. That's yeah. gonna be fantastic. Um, I've known you for years now, but from all of the years that you have been writing, what have you learned the most about your profession?
1: Here's look, don't waste time looking for an agent or a manager. Number one, they Ooh. won't sign, they won't sign you unless somebody wants you first. And uh, so I, I, that's my advice to writers is don't waste their time doing that because it's everybody's out there going, Oh, I need to get an agent, but blah, it's blah. So like I said, unless you, unless another agent wants to sign you, you're, you're wasting your time.
0: Right. So
1: the other time somebody wants to sign you, it's, I'm going to use that common old f- phrase monkey see, monkey do. Yeah. It's a great monkey, mo- monkey see, monkey do. I'm sure I'm going to win a lot of fans with the things I'm saying right now, but um, it's, uh, you know, I, I'll further say, it's a lot of people out there. There's a lot of Philistines and dilettantes, meaning well-meaning people that want to get into the arts and they don't really have a clue what they're doing. And really, every all these examples you need are all these uh, shows that are being rebooted. You know, you can't believe that some they're resurrecting shows 40, 50 years old. Yeah. And I'm saying, are we so uh, bereft of the, of ideas that we have to constantly, you know, be rebooting or you know We want everything to be a franchise. So it's all, obviously it is about revenue and revenue is important. And look, when I write a screenplay, I'm writing it to be entertaining and I want something that streams well, but I also look at content. You know, you ask me why I write, I want to write a good screenplay. I write screenplays that I think have substance to them. In terms of storyline, you know, I've written about people like J.D. Salinger and Bukowski. That's another, Angus uh, is going to start shooting my Bukowski script in October. I think that's the best film with any depiction, you know, the two movies that came out that have depicted Bukowski as his alter ego to me did not work. And I'm looking forward to seeing this get, you know, we get a crack at making this movie because I think I did a good job of, of, of portraying Bukowski. So, you know, not to digress too much. What I'm saying is not only am I looking to give people substance I want to entertain them at the same time but I also want to inter- entertain with original content. So uh getting back to your question, don't worry about going for agents and managers, write as many screenplays as you can and be your own agent. And right. that that's a bitch. You know, yeah. a lot of people, are, well how do I how do I do that, Phil? You know, yeah. it's like you have to get out there and look for opportunities to pitch. And you know, unfortunately there's not a lot of channels to do that for people, you know, you know the same channels that I know. I mean, let's talk about first. Let's talk about paid pitch channels like Stage Thirty Two or Roadmap Writers. And I'm not going to sit there and say for that's not an option. I there's a lot of people that have gotten stuff out, you know, that way. You see, you know, Roadmap has signed you know 300 and some odd writers. So, um, yeah, it is a it's a viable process. But again, if you look at it as sort of like you're spending money, it's it's the odds are fairly well against you when you go into a situation like that. Again, I'm sure uh, the people that run these outfits will be really happy with me. But if come on, look at the mathematics of it. Right. If Let's say Joe Blow executive doing a, a, a one of those pitch sessions he's going to do. He, he might do 15, 20 uh verbal pitches where people do the live pitches for eight minutes maybe more right and then on top of that he gets 30 40 written pitches so he may get 50 or 60 pitches and how many of those do you think he goes okay i want to read a screenplay well you know maybe a couple percentage point he might pick two or three of those screenplays and out of those scripts how many of those people get signed so again it's a long odds proposition just like oh you know what I know what I'll do. I'll go out and I'll win the Nick Hall Fellowship. All I got to do is beat ten thousand other writers. <laughs> and I'm up there and I'm gonna I'm gonna win that contest. And I'm saying, great, more power to you if you place. Or you know, look, if you place as a semifinalist in Page or Nickel, you'll probably get some script reads. So not, mm-hmm. it's not impossible to do, as uh, Rocco says in Godfather, difficult but not impossible. You know, go ahead. That's a pathway. But to me, the best pathway to success. Is pitching your work to people. And if you can start by becoming a member of IMDB Pro. Uh you know, Victoria, you have a script about uh like a period piece that takes place in Victorian England or whatever, if my memory serves me. Who do I think is going to be looking for a screenplay like that? So you look at people that might have made a movie like that, and maybe they're interested in making another film like that. Uh, but you you look for people you admire. You go out there, you pay the 20 bucks a month, and you look for information. And you try to get that to people. Again, yeah. long on odds, because sometimes your percentage points are not that great. But if you look at a couple of years ago, I pitched uh, the other Austin girl, because yeah. I pitched it to the lifetime crowd. I think I sent it out to maybe 30 people, and I know I got three, four responses. So I hit more than 10% on that, right? Not a bad right. return yes. on my time investment. So that's a, that's a way you can connect. Uh, another way you can connect is using services like InkTip. But the problem with InkTip for most people is that they go, oh, I've written my script about uh, Ada Lovelace, and I'm going to list it on uh, that, and I'm sure somebody will discover me because it's so good that how can somebody not know how? what a genius I am? So, you know, they use that passing the passive listing service. They probably get you know, 100 log line hits, and maybe one or two people will read the synopsis. But you're dealing with the short attention span of industry people, yeah. most of the time people hit the log and yeah, like, hey, I don't want to even read. read the synopsis. God, that take five minutes of my time. So <laughs> the, the reason why Ink Tip has been successful for me, and I'm going to make a bold statement here and venture to guess that I may have more Ink Tip options than anybody else that's used them. Because I've, I've done at least 15 deals with them, and I defy anybody to tell me who's done more than that. But go ahead. I'm open yeah. to be corrected. Um, yeah. And the reason I've done that is because I was open to working with material other than my own. So oh. you know, uh, the one of the first couple people. Well, I'll go to the second guy I connected with on InkTip, which was Steve Roter, Stephen Roter, and Steve's a guy that just did a movie last year called uh, The Hunchback of Air, which is a horror movie. Produced it for like you know two hundred fifty thousand he got it up on Tubi, he got it up on uh, Amazon, so and actually it's a pretty good movie, given you know that most of it was improv and, and the budget constraints, and that, that was Steve's first attempt as a director because he's mainly a producer. Now, he's produced a couple of bigger movies, like he produced a movie with uh, Jolie Richardson and Hayden Panettieri called Lies My Mother Told Me, which was a, a pretty big TV movie, and so Steve has a lot of connections, and when I met him in 2014, he was looking for a screenplay about Michael Rockefeller. You know, being the kind of guy I am, I was reading this and I go, hmm, Philly, what do you think? Do you think anybody's going to have a Michael Rockefeller screenplay lying around? The guy disappeared 60 some odd years ago, and this was in 2014. And I had never heard of him before I looked him up <laughs> on Wikipedia. So I made, I connected the dots. I realized he was the son of Governor Rockefeller, who was a former American vice president. So, yeah. But I did that very afternoon as I, I, I said, mm, okay, let me read up on this. So I studied up on what the story was, how Michael Rockefeller was a Harvard graduate who hooked up with a anthropological expedition that went to yeah. the Islands in 1961. And he loved it, you know, it was a real yes. event. And he was with the primitive indigenous peoples, the Danny and the Azmat. So yeah. again, I, I'm a very fast person in terms of what I absorb. And so I go, okay, let me me see. So I I spewed out about a page and a half synopsis, wrote a sexy log line about Michael Rockefeller. I sent it to InkTip, and lo and behold, two, three days later, I get, hey, send me the script, right? So I go, oh, okay, there's only one problem I have is I don't have a screenplay. So what do I do? What do I do? Do I do what I did the first (laughs) time where I told them I didn't have a screenplay, and they said, okay, they're moving on? Oh. my mistake i said i might tell that guy i'm not telling uh steve that i'm gonna i'm gonna buy some time so i actually wrote the first draft in five or six days i told InkTip that i needed some time to uh i just said i've got a draft but i've got to go through and make grammar corrections you know i gave him a bullshit excuse again i'm sure people will love me for you know disclosing what really happened but um <laughs> you know, yeah, steve knows what's happening i've known i've known for 10 years so yeah, so we went, we went through. He liked the first draft. We made changes. Initially, he pitched it to William Morris, and yeah, then the, the, the reader didn't get it. She didn't like it. And so that one got put on the shelf, and Steve and I did several other projects in the meantime that he pitched to various people, like Tyler Perry. We went, we've hit Tyler Perry uh, three times. We've been into uh, William Morris uh, twice. We've been into, excuse me, Millennium Films. A Land He's been in with a couple of my rom-coms. They didn't. They totally hate my work. They didn't get me at all because I, they they I, they probably think I'm a misogynist. Um, oh. But uh, in any <laughs> case, he's been very successful at getting work to people. Bloomhouse, yeah. tons and tons of other people. I mean, currently we revised the Rockefeller script because when we got into Paramount in 2017 or 18, Paramount objected to. The use of the Rockefeller name so Steve contacted me about a month ago and he says I want to pitch Rockefeller to Paramount again I go well let's see why don't we learn from our mistake and I'm gonna I'll scrub Rockefeller out of the script I said how about I make him another American senators kid we fix nice and then Steve had a couple of great ideas he said why don't you make him the prime minister and you move the story for 10 years and I'm going why don't we make him the home secretary rather than the prime minister we won't shoot that high so the my lead Lee Carrey's father is the home secretary of the UK. And, you know, I just take it. I take the whole story and just do it from a more British angle. Works fine. Right. At a Harvard, it's Oxford University. Everything works beautifully. It's all fictionalized. Every name is fictionalized. So what are they going to do? Because I can now at the end of the day say, this was inspired by a true story. But there's nobody. Who, what are they going to sue me for? I've yeah. changed all the names. They can say, well, it's real similar. But, you know, so yeah. what did I do? it's a uh, sort of a marketing uh, sales technique is I wanted to remove possible objections. The biggest objection was the Rockefeller connection. So I took that out of the equation. Guess what? We're going back in front of Paramount in a couple weeks. Oh. He already has this in front of millennium films and Jerry Bruckheimer films.
0: Amazing. That's yeah, so. incredible. What do you think happened to Michael Rockefeller? I watched a documentary about him the other day and I, it was, there was a shot of him on a boat with no clothes on paddling with everyone else
1: right well, look, you know again that that my take on that is highly fictionalized and what do I really think happened to him like yeah, he, there's two things either or he got killed somehow you know yeah the yeah. Asmat guy um you know and a lot of the asthma were very fond of him. he had people that he was connected with, but not all the tribes knew him. so one or the other he wound up dead because they never found the guy. but in yeah. my version, um which now he's not he's michael his name is uh jo- i can't think of his first name uh i think it's like uh, uh robert jordan or something like that i i just redid the script i forgot the, the name but he's now jordan right so uh, robert jordan goes he it's sort of like a heart of, a heart of darkness type story in as much as there was a guy that went looking for milt macklin so my guy Walt Riker goes looking for Jordan and he finds him living with the asthmat and 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 uh Jordan's gone native. you know it's this yeah. whole part of darkness type thing and he's been living with the Asthmat for seven, eight years so um they have a like they spend a couple of days together, and Michael unfolds his story and why he didn't want to go back to civilization, which there was a lot in there was a lot to support that theory because yeah. Mike didn't want to be a suit like his old man. he loved traveling the world and being on adventure so. You know, again, in my version, he sort of prevails upon the journalist to keep his secret. Um, and uh, you know, so again, that comes at it from a sort of heart of darkness angle. Uh and again, I'm not trying to rewrite history, I'm not trying to tell a history story, I'm trying to tell a fictionalized story yes. inspired by that. So that's what I think happened. And uh right now that story's in play, and that's a 10-year-old script.
0: Oh God, I so hope that does something i want to jump on to your facebook writing group which i'm a member yes. of and i love it oh,
1: good.
0: what what sets this apart from other writing groups
1: okay yeah i'm really excited about the group we're just about to hit 190 people because we're about six weeks old so a lot of yeah. good writers coming on board uh james moore just joined the group the other day very oh good yeah writer. um chuck hosmeyer's got a big movie deal he just signed uh, we have several other writers, uh, of course, Hans Bauer, who wrote Anaconda. So and then we have a lot of lovely other people. We have yourself and there's there's scores of really good writers. So what prompted me was I was using another platform as my primary. You know, I was posting a lot. I've been doing that for years, probably 10 years. But I, for starters, the, the sites are getting much more content. They're, they're You know, again, they feel they need to control content now. And I'm going, it's a goddamn screenwriting cipher, you know F7. yeah yeah, yeah. what are you worried about? So these guys are moderating content. that you know, I would start like, for example, they're they're selling script writing services. They're selling pitching services. And so uh, if i if I talked about somebody like Screencraft about, hey, Screencraft's doing this, or so and so's doing this, my threads would dif- would disappear. You know, they would move my threads. So I got I said, I'm tired of this crap. This is ridiculous. I'm going to start a group. And really, I started that group for the purpose of, A, having an unfettered voice, not only for myself, but for uh, other writers. I'm not censoring content. The only thing I'm doing is I've pulled two threads so far since I started this. And the reason I pulled the threads was that one guy was posting the same thing every day. He was advertising Mm -hmm. a seminar. And to me, that you're abusing your membership because... No, we don't want to see the same threat every day. Okay, yeah, yeah, we got it. Twice in one week, we got the fact that you're doing And beautiful. Let everybody know yourself. Let everybody know you're, uh, well, Travis Sapala just got a, signed a deal for a screenplay he did, and he's getting a movie made with AMC. Shout it out to the world. I want you to have that voice on Screenwriters Talk and Shop. That's what it's there for. You. Tell me your story. Tell me the good, the bad, and the ugly. Talk about your process. Talk about what inspires you. Like, You know, now I'm starting just to do these open-ended questions for people to get discussions going. You know, I kind of did, was pumping content in there to get this thing going. And now I really want to create, you know, a site where people just throwing out questions and get some good discussions going, some promotions. Perhaps we'll get into, you know, some video things, you know, moving forward as we get, you know, more. But really, it's just I want to create a group where people have the freedom to speak their mind you know, whatever it is, I, I'm not there to, to judge your content or say, you know, this doesn't fit what my agenda is, because my only agenda is promoting myself and other people, you know, and helping writers. I'm a big believer in helping writers.
0: Yeah, I think I've, I've said before, haven't I, that it's a place where there's no egos, really, and right. I, there's a very much a respectful atmosphere in that group, and it's no not a case of where people are put down or laughed at or you know just some of the new writers myself I still consider myself a new writer I have a quite a naivety about them and you're not kind of made to feel an idiot in your group (laughs) if you want to discuss an idea and you shouldn't be made to feel like that so I think it's great honestly really love it.
1: One more thing on that you said something so insightful about you shouldn't be made to feel bad or I remember initially, my first year and there were people online that were, "Oh, you're an idiot!" I had, I, I had some guy tell me I was the worst writer to ever seen, and then, you know, about three months later, I had three screenplays uh, placed as quarterfinalists at the ScreenCraft competition. And ScreenCraft also interviewed me, and I was a new screenwriter at the time. Um, I'd only been doing it for about a year and a half. So, you know, look, there's good people out there, and there's there's a lot of a holes out there. But yeah. the last thing I want, and I'm a mean old man, so people do have a healthy respect for me as far as like. You know, I'm not. I don't like. I don't take shit from people. And look, I'm not gonna. That that's one thing I won't tolerate. Somebody comes on and they start talking shit. You know, I'll just bounce their ass out because we don't need that. That has nothing to do with censorship. That if you look at my rules, I basically say there are no rules. Just don't be an a hole. Yeah. You know, I think people. One of the things that attracted people initially is you know I was like Outback Steakhouse, no rules made. But again, be respectful writers. Don't, give, don't, don't, don't be, make it your goal to make people feel small. Make it your goal to help. If you're such a big shot talent, make it your goal to help people. Right, so right. That's yeah. statement
0: there. I was going to jump onto to uh, writing competitions. Some of them yes. could be quite expensive to enter. Are they worth the money?
1: Oh, boy. Um, look, you know, there's prevailing wisdom and there's my wisdom. First prevailing wisdom. There's only fifteen or twenty good contests like Page, Austin Film Festival, Nickel Fellowships, Gruta um, I can't think of the other one. There's a British one, um, uh, Story Pros. You know, there's there's some well known competitions that are out there. Everybody knows them. Uh, ScreenCraft. ScreenCraft's definitely one of the top yeah. ten now. And look, ScreenCraft. Uh, I think I've placed ScreenCraft seven times, seven or eight times. Yeah. So pretty good to me over the years. Um, the uh, And then there's also a lot of film festivals. There's film festivals like Austin Revolution Film Festival, AFF, Film Quest. There's great film festivals. Street, you know, Street Fest, I think, right? Yeah. Fest is, I think she's resurrecting. Denise is going to resurrect that festival again in the near future. She was busy for a year or two making movies, but um there's some very good genre festivals out there. And at those festivals, you can meet a lot of people. At very least, you can make contact with other writers. And establish writing friendships. Uh, I don't know if you know Joanne Hess, um, but Joanne Hess. I missed her at the Austin Film Festival, but very good writer. She's got a film coming out, or she's going. They're making a movie, I think, in Australia this summer. And she's an excellent writer. And uh, I I had a video conference with her because I missed her at the film festival. I was looking for it, but I kind of zipped in and out a few uh, month or two ago. But I think all those festivals are worth the money. Um, I love uh, genre film festivals. I do all kinds of different ones. I I look for bargains. I I mean, if if I can do a festival for 15 bucks or 10 bucks, you know, there's tons of them out there. I I, I tell you, I advise people use Film Freeway, look at the thing at the bottom that says transparency, see who's managing the festival and see if it's worth money to you. And
0: you're um, a writer of a specific genre and you focused on that for years. Should you try a different genre or stick with what you know?
1: Okay. My answer to that question was Are you there to stay in your comfort zone or are you there to stretch yourself as an artist? And think, consider it this way if you're a horror writer, but let's put it to you this way take Joe Blow as a horror writer and stack him against Bill Hardy. And I work in every genre. I've got rom coms, I've got horror, I've got action adventure, I have a biopics, I have. A, novel adaptations i have a sports comedy called bitchball um and several other things oh sci-fi let's not forget i have sci-fi yeah so who's got a better opportunity some guy who's a genre guy that's got maybe four or five screenplays or me who has 55 screenplays in every genre and is flex will work with producers to create material who do you think's got a better chance of success i mean i can just put it to you that way
0: yeah for sure yourself obviously with more work um across the genres yeah well really
1: what is it i mean i'm not a sports guy trust me i'm not sitting there watching sunday football games but i thought bitch ball was such a great idea Uh, you know i wanted to do what was (laughs) also a version of slap shot and really it's about two uh, women soccer players in texas in their mid-30s that get fired and it's controversial there's got you know i deal with the uh the trans athlete issue in that but it's a very funny screenplay for people that bother to read it and I present a very balanced look at that but they create their own sport which is a hybrid of of soccer football baseball and mixed martial arts so it's like a really wild you know women are out there beating each other up on the field and you know there there's no rules to the sport and it's a very it makes very good visual comedy yeah Um, very situational comedy and and to me i think it's one of my most interesting pieces of work but it was very challenging because i had to go and look at soccer i had to look at things i really didn't know that much about so i could create scenes to make it believable and make these characters believable and realistic so again that's getting out of your comfort zone and i've I've never feared to tread in that territory
0: Okay. I think that my last question, I think you've answered. So uh, actually I'll ask if you want to expand on it any further about the best advice you could give to writers who are not represented in getting their work read. But I think you've asked, answered this earlier. So <laughs> yeah,
1: the answer is, I'll, I'll let me give you this piece of advice I posted yesterday. Unless you are obsessed with creating content, I mean, I'm constantly working on something, you know, and like I said, I'm getting old and, you know, there's times where I'm going, Oh my God, I, you know, I got to get up to do this. But, you know, again, I'm very quick. I'm the Lord has blessed me. I'm, I set, I work quickly, but I create a lot of content when I'm not creating new content. I'm reworking old content. I mean, I read, I did some rewriting on that uh, whole life ahead script. That's over at uh, that Steve's repping. I just rewrote a script called uh, Hell's Half Acre, another horror script. So, I'm always looking at old, revisiting old work that needs polished jobs. So creating content, one, and two, looking, relentlessly looking for opportunities to pitch that content. And again, you want, look, I give people a lot of that advice. I have a 45 minute video. It's not a high tech production, but if you want good information on how to pitch your work, I have a video on YouTube. It's called the. uh 10 web hosting sites that will pitch your material, something to that effect. Yeah, so if I, if I talk about Inktip, I talk about stage 32, Roadmap Writers, a Virtual Pitch Fest, the Blacklist, uh, and a couple other websites. So those are the that's the advice. Don't wait around for an agent because if you wait, you're gonna be waiting a hell of a long time. Yeah. Pitch your you are the agent, you know? And and that's what I mean. Go out there. Any opportunity. So if you got to pay some people to look at it, that's what you got to do. Then save your pennies and do it. Um, if you're going to use ink tip, you've got to use it aggressively. You can't just lose screenplays. Go after people that are looking for particular things and meet meet a need.
0: Great. Thank you so much for coming on to the Mighty Dragon. It's great to see you. I will see you in your Facebook group, which I absolutely love. Honestly, you've done such a great job with it. And I just think it's what everyone needs, this new screenwriting group. It's so good. I will see you at the Oscars, I guess, then.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I'm holding my breath.
0: (laughs) (gasps) Don't forget all your mates over here. (laughs) Thank
1: you for this opportunity.
0: No problem. Take care, and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.